Good morning. Welcome to the DMA Politics Podcast. Uh, we're recording live from DMA Towers, our HQ, in the centre of London. Joining me, we have Michael Sturrock. Morning. And uh, John Mitchison. Hi there. Who's our latest guest to have on the podcast, actually our first. It's normally just me and Michael. Uh, this edition, we're going to be having a recap of all the things that have happened recently in the news, especially regarding Brexit and some of the impacts on the data economy. I also hear that John is going to go on a somewhat of a rant at the end, uh, which hopefully we'll all enjoy. Um, to recap what's happened in the last couple of weeks, Theresa May's Brexit deal has been brought to Parliament twice, and it's been voted down twice. Um, she had planned to bring that deal back for a third time, um, but John Burko, the Speaker of the House, uh, recently said that he wouldn't allow that third vote to be brought back for the House of Commons unless the withdrawal agreement had changed substantially. Mm. Um, this apparently surprised Theresa May in the Cabinet. They hadn't expected the Speaker yeah. uh, to say this, but there had been rumours that he would do this, and he cited um, an age-old precedent from a few hundred years ago as, yeah. as, as his reason for doing this. I don't know whether you have any more. Yeah, interestingly, there was, the, there was an amendment last week to... Uh, there was three votes last week on Theresa May's withdrawal agreement. The first one to... Uh, either accept or reject the withdrawal agreement, and the next one was to accept or reject no deal, and the third one was to accept or reject an extension. So all of them got voted down apart from an extension, which is now going to be taking place. But one of the amendments that was aired last week was by Crispin Blunt, which cited this 400-year-old parliamentary procedure that said the government or any member of parliament can't bring a bill back repeatedly to parliament once it's decided on, on the issue. And so, obviously, John Burko thought there was something in this or his researchers thought there was something in this and now this has been the basis of his ruling that he gave earlier this week. So the government is now in a bit of a, a bit of a stushy as we say in, up north <laughs> and uh, they can't actually bring the withdrawal agreement back as Zach says unless there are substantial changes. And it has, it has led to some really farcical scenes in Parliament. So I was speaking to someone uh, uh, yesterday and they were telling me that James Cleverley was in the House, he's a Conservative MP. And he had said that had he known that the Speaker would refuse the withdrawal agreement coming back for a third vote, he would have voted yes the second time. So he almost brazenly admitted that he was playing politics with the vote, um, mm. trying to make himself look better probably to his uh, Lever constituents yeah. by taking it down to the wire and voting against the government and saying mm. no deal is better uh, than this bad deal. I think but he actually intends to vote for it anyway. So. Yeah. And this is one of the big problems with the Parliament at the moment, is that everyone's trying to play the political game, and when everyone does that, they're not really taking the votes on face value. They're trying to have this overarching strategy of how they can get what they want, and because there's so much division in what everyone does want, everyone's kind of jumping over each other and just ruling out options on the basis of tactics rather than on the basis of the bill itself. I don't know whether you'd agree, but partly I think it's Theresa May's fault. Mm. She's been telling everyone in Parliament, all different factional groups with different interests, what they want to hear. So she's been telling the Brexiteers what they want to hear since the beginning, that they're going to, you know, no deal is better than a bad deal. But then Theresa May clearly doesn't believe that because she's uh, championing to the hill her, her deal. Um, she's trying to bring round Remainers on side who are almost diametrically opposed to the Brexiteers within her own party and also some within the Labour Party too. So it's quite hard for her to actually bring those people together and I think so far she's failed because they see through her attempts to tell them what they want to hear uh, when it's not really going to work I don't think. So how do you how do you think this is all going to end then? Where, where is it going to go from here? So there's all this poli political game playing being going on, there's only really one deal on offer which is Theresa May's deal and it looks like she's basically clinging to that mm. until the last minute. Yeah. 
and the fear of no deal is going to... Do you think that's going to well, force or, you know, persuade everybody to vote for her deal in the end? Well, this is the thing. So everyone last week, everyone in Parliament emphatically voted against there being a no deal and you know, essentially alluded to the fact they would want anything other than a no deal. But that didn't actually change the legal grounding of everything at the moment. There needs to be an amendment that is passed to the withdrawal agreement that says there will not be a no deal in order for that to have legal effect. So theoretically, no deal is still the legal option, as Theresa May keeps saying. And so the government are saying that they will bring back the withdrawal agreement next week, or yeah, next week, uh, despite John Burkle's ruling, because they think that if they can get some kind of delay from the EU, which they're hoping to do today, then that will be the substantive change that's required for it to be brought back again. But you're right, this does leave us in the kind of trap of it's Theresa May's deal or no deal still, which is her tactic, I guess. So it will be the situation that next week on Thursday, they're going to try and bring back the withdrawal agreement. And, you know, Friday was the day we were originally supposed to leave the EU. So there's this kind of looming threat of theoretically tomorrow is the day we leave with a no deal unless you back my deal. And so, to, so something to remember with what Michael was saying is that on the EU side, the EU don't want to be responsible for the UK leaving mm. without a deal. So if the UK has requested an extension to Article 50 and the EU rejects it and then we then leave in um, was it nine days' time, yeah. uh, that's not a situation they want to be in because then they'll be easily blamed in the press across Europe and in the UK for any economic disruption or problems that happen mm. at that point in their own countries but also in the UK as well. So I think... So Although we, we the, could, we could be, we could, it could be interpreted then that we're putting a lot of pressure on Europe to, to go for that extension as well. I think so, and there's pressure on them from their own people as well who have vested interests and business interests in the UK, and they don't want the UK to leave and that disruption to happen. Although the EU's playing hardball at the moment because it has to take it down to the wire, it doesn't really want to have an extension if the extension means that come June, uh, this summer. We're in exactly the same position as we are now, yeah. with a deadlock in Parliament, with everyone saying they don't want no deal, but with no clear indication of anything that commands a majority in the House yeah. for something positive to if, happen. If we ask for an extension, their question will be why, and they'll want a decent explanation as to why it's merited, because they don't just want to keep going. Business, as we know, business uncertainty is just the worst thing at the moment, other than a no deal. It's the, it's the second worst option. So we really want a, a, a clear way forward. So if we know, if the EU, and we know that is to do a general election or to do a second referendum or to slightly adjust the political declaration or just to confirm what parliament needs to get this deal over the line, then the EU will say, okay, as long as you've, we've got those assurances, then sure, we'll give you that extension. This is it. So the EU essentially, like Michael says, really, they'll come back mm. with some caveats for the UK and say, we will give you the extension, but you'd have to do you know, X amount of steps for us, yeah. for us to do this. So if Theresa May was able to convince them that she was able to get a majority next week um, from her own party, then perhaps that would be enough for the EU to grant extension, I don't know. They might ask for other caveats. Um, but they won't, they won't just continue granting extensions yeah. forever. How, how long do you think Theresa May is going to ask for the extension to be? Um, well, I think Theresa May is going to ask for the extension to go to the 30th of June. Um, this is pretty much the last day that Theresa May can have Article 50 extended to, because if it goes any further, uh, then the UK has to participate in European elections, and that is the complicating factor that Theresa May wants to avoid. However, uh, there are rumours that she will ask for the possibility of a much longer extension. So she'll be asking for a formal extension to the 30th of June and then a much longer one if the UK required it. Although I don't know what grounds that would be. She's due to publish um, some information later today, um, putting some more detail.
on that mm. how that would actually work I, c- I can't see a longer extension being popular in anybody's book absolutely I mean, not, not no. you know, whether you're a remainer or a lever or, mm-hmm. or you like her deal or you don't mm. extending for more th- beyond June would just be terrible for everybody especially as still beyond that we've got two years of negotiations for the actual trade deal itself so if it's a this isn't even the deal is it this is just the (laughs) this is the kind of basis for from which we can start to agree the proper proper ongoing relationship so yeah you can imagine what that's going to be like in the coming years if you think Brexit's done it's not And from a business perspective, it, mm. it, the, the worst of all deals is the uncertainty. So yeah. not knowing whether it's a no deal or there's going to be a deal leaves business in limbo, which means they hold back investment yeah. and there's not money coming into the UK. Yeah. Um, so it's the worst possible option, really. Just nothing happening, just a total yeah. breakdown. Yeah. Well, I, I spoke to um, a property lawyer, commercial property lawyer recently, and she said that her business has basically just sort of stopped. Nobody is, is doing anything. Uh, in commercial property, nobody's buying anything. Mm-hmm. And she said, but the difference between this and 2008 is that, you know, back in 2008 when we had, um, you know, a recession uh, and all of that kind of business stopped, it was, it was because nobody had any money. She said, this time, everybody's still got the money, they're just not spending it. Really? So as soon as, as soon as this impasse finishes, there might be a sudden surge of activity. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. mm-hmm. In terms of feedback from our members, what have we been hearing about Brexit and worries. Is there is there anything in particular that they've been citing, or is it just consistent with what we've heard from the rest of I, rest of business I, and industry? I suppose people might expect us to say that there've been masses of them have been in contact saying how this is a disaster, and businesses are going to go under. But actually, I've been pretty surprised about relatively how how quiet it's been. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's because people are positive about it. It's because they've probably got their heads in the sand. They find especially in terms of the data protection issues, they're quite technical mm-hmm. and hard to understand. So for your average business owner, especially for you know, SMEs, yeah. it's quite difficult to grasp and they'd rather not deal with it. So they're hoping <laughs> it just goes away, yeah. the deal is signed and they haven't got to worry about it. Yeah. So I feel that yeah, businesses have got their head in the sand, a lot of DMA members too. Although obviously the larger corporates are much better at preparing this kind of thing, but for your small business, family business, and you know, in a 20 or 30 employees, it's a very difficult one to prepare for. So that's pretty much where we are with Brexit at the moment. There will be some developments later today with Theresa May having gone to Brussels and outlined this letter of the extension requests. But there's quite a lot of contention still in her cabinet and next week there's going to be yet more turmoil and it just seems that every week at the moment is seems to be the end date but then turns out not to be. So hold tight, there'll be plenty more. Do and, uh, you, one more thing, do you think sure. possibly... The, the, hard, the hardest thing for Theresa May is um, she's trying to hold together the Conservative Party mm. and to pursue essentially a soft Brexit with her withdrawal agreement and perhaps the two aren't reconcilable. Yeah, I think that's that's potentially true because we've got the case at the moment where there is the, the, the hardline Brexiteer wing of her, her party who are essentially taking leave from taking the uh, lead from the, the DUP. They say they aren't, won't be satisfied with the deal unless the DUP say that. So essentially there's a wing of her party that's been annexed by another one. And so there's already that massive split there. And if she does opt for that uh, softer Brexit, then they're clearly not gonna be very happy at all. At the same time, if she were to move towards that end of the, uh, the harder end of the Brexit scale, then there's almost 100 Tory MPs who have said that they will either quit the party or happily support leadership challenges or general elections. I mean, so. and that's, that's already happening, because most interestingly, Nick Bowles, 
he's no longer part of his local Conservative Party because mm. they were planning to deselect him because of his uh, anti-Brexit viewpoint. Yeah. So he now sits still as a Conservative candidate but as a member of the central Conservative Party and not his local party. Mm. So he's now constituent CMP that's completely disconnected from his uh, yeah. his local supporters and party. Well, no longer his supporters, obviously, but yeah. It's, it's a lose-lose situation, isn't yeah. it, for, for most people? It's a bit like those, you know, the games of Jenga that seem to go on forever and much longer <laughs> than they really should, and yeah. everyone thinks that the next block that's going to be taken out is going to collapse the tower, but yeah, but it I, just I, seems I, to keep going. <laughs> what you were saying about, um, you know, uh, lo- local... Tory uh, MPs, you know, as you know, I, we have a regular dialogue with with my father, who um, you know has <laughs> read no other news source uh, other than the Telegraph since he was a teenager, um, and he's been having an ongoing email conversation uh, with his MP Jeremy Hunt. Um, it's quite one sided conversation from what I gather, but well, he, he, Jeremy has started replying. Oh, really? Brilliant. Yeah. But uh, Jeremy Hunt is saying that he, you know, we should get together and. Um, vote for uh, Theresa May's deal but he's he's basing that on the fact that just nobody wants a no deal right so that everybody mm. should go towards the uh, uh, to Theresa May's option yeah whereas um, uh, my father is uh, is all for just walking away and going back to a World Trade Organization uh, deals for, for everything yeah. he's, he's quite rabid about that which okay. is yeah. uh, highly amusing for us yeah. <laughs> well, it's, 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 yeah. I mean it's the same in the Labour Party there's there's so many Labour MPs yeah. who are just terrified of uh, going against Brexit because there's such a, a fervour amongst their constituents to go for go for Brexit so yeah. I think that's, that's a really important point it's not a partisan issue the Labour Party is as split mm. as the Conservative Party over the, over the issue of yeah. Brexit I think I saw a stat um, 60%, I think, of Labour constituencies voted to leave. So the idea that Labour is more united than the Conservatives is wrong. They're, yeah. Yeah, they're as divided on this, too. And more of their MPs mm. have broken away and left to join yeah. the independent group than have Conservative MPs yeah. the other way. Yeah, it's, and that's the. It wasn't the, a party political position, was it? Whether or not you wanted to be in the EU, it wasn't. Well, that's the thing that the, the you know traditionally elections have been about the left-right split, Tory, the Dem. Labour, but now there's this kind of new axis of Brexit, and yeah. it just doesn't really conform to party lines. So it's a, mm. yeah, it's sort of the first time that Parliament has been tested to such a degree along something that isn't just the partisan split. So it's interesting to see how it's been holding up, which it hasn't. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's the Brexit chat pretty much for today. <laughs> um, but John, you you had some issues that you wanted to chat about today. Is that well? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a, it, at a recent management meeting. We were talking about um, we were talking about DMA membership and mm. the membership proposition, um, and uh, people interpreted my 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 input in that meeting as being uh, somewhat of a rant, right? Which it wasn't meant to be, <laughs> okay? Uh, and it, it was only you know it was an amusing rant, hopefully. Um, so I think uh, it might be interesting for for, for this. Uh, for this uh, podcast, and it was basically we were we're looking at new ways to present the membership proposition um, to companies that are that are not DMA members. Um, and of course, you know, there's lots of things that the, the DMA does. We, you know, we run events, we have um, you know, we have our annual awards, we produce guidance, all these kind of different things. We have our code. Um, but the one thing that I always think gets left out, and I think is really important, is the lobbying and the advocacy that we that we do without people really 
being aware of it, sure. um, and it's not really pushed forward as one of the main reasons to join the DMA. And my point was that even if you don't use any other services of the DMA, it would be worth being a member of the DMA because of the support that the lobbying activities provide on your behalf, right? Most small businesses um, can't influence uh, the debate or the conversations that are going on in, in Parliament or in the EU or with regulators or other major stakeholders, and we do that on people's behalf. So what I, what I was saying, slightly tongue-in-cheek, was that every company who has a serious uh, serious involvement in direct marketing or data in marketing should be a member of the DMA, mm. whether or not they use uh, other services or not, just because you know we're working on behalf of them, whether or not they you know they are actual members. Absolutely, and our, and our, and our lobbying efforts are quite quite extens extensive. We don't just work in Westminster Field. A lot of data policy comes from the EU at the moment, and that's going to change. But we're still going to need a lot of influence there. So. Uh, a lot of us are back and forth to Brussels a fair bit and we work in Westminster as I say and also we have uh, initiatives going from the Scottish Parliament as well so we really are fingers in many pies in terms of lobbying. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's not just low-level mm. activity that's going on here. I mean, yeah. we're talking to senior politicians, you know, the main lawmakers, the, the head of departments in, mm. in DCMS. Um, you know, we have meetings with Elizabeth Denham at the ICO. Mm -hmm. we have, um, previously, we were having meetings with, like, you know, the senior directors at Ofcom, yeah. you know, to cover telemarketing aspects. You know, we are, we are considered uh, a serious player in this space. Whenever um, the regulators want to uh, want to introduce something new, uh, Zach. You got invited to their um, their roundtable about the sandbox that they yeah. were wanting to introduce. Indeed. I got invited to their um, session on um, on AI. They were going to be producing uh, guidance for companies using AI. Yeah. Um, so we went along to the Turing Institute to put our two pence worth into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I had, so I had a dinner two weeks ago with some hard right Brexit Tory MPs who were gun ho for no deal and it was it was a perfect opportunity to stake out our position there amongst the people who are most fervently against it and you know it's giving them a better understanding of the situation is mm -hmm. so important because you know maybe when they're going in to vote on these issues they might just think oh I remember I had that very engaging and enjoyable <laughs> conversation with the charming chap from yeah, the, from the DNA, DNA <laughs> and therefore I'm not going to vote against these things but yeah I think most importantly it does actually work mm. so with our lobbying on GDPR we'd long argued for um, consent not to be the only ground for, uh, for marketing in that piece of legislation and in the end direct marketing was included as a uh, possible case you could make for legitimate interest which opened up many more options for marketers in terms of how they could contact people essentially maintaining an opt-out route so if we hadn't, along with other organisations, lobbied for uh, direct marketing to be a legitimate interest, then it might well be that the industry would have to go all in consent for every kind of marketing on every channel. Yeah. And that would make what is already a difficult piece of legislation to uh, comply with even more difficult. So it isn't just a case of we go talk to you know certain people and make sure the DMA is at the highest table, but what we say is also listened to and does influence people and changes the outcomes in positive ways for the industry. Yeah, I think one of the things that I said um, at, the, at the meeting that I mentioned was that it's, it's a bit like voting, right? If you don't vote, you can't complain about the government you end up Absolutely. with. Right? Or if you're yeah. not a member of the DMA, if you're not encouraging us to make the right noises mm -hmm. with these stakeholders and regulators, yeah. then you can't complain about it afterwards, right? Yeah. When, when e-privacy eventually comes in, if it's not what you wanted as a business and you weren't backing the DMA, then, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
don't complain. I went into my old, my old school a couple of weeks ago to give uh, give a chat on politics, the state of politics, and what what I do, having left however many years ago and now working in politics still. And I chatted to the politics class. And I was telling them about lobbying and where it comes from, and it's it's actually quite an important and significant part of you know British democracy in particular. Lobbying, the word lobbying, comes from however many hundreds of years ago when MPs constituents used to literally stand in, in the lobbies of Westminster and harass their MPs as they went into the chamber and tried to get them to vote for things. And that's obviously changed into something quite, quite, quite a lot bigger. But you know, the, every kind of well, the party system as well, everyone moves into groups and depending on where, where their interests lie. And that's really the way to influence politics is to join up with people, like-minded people and push your push your view forward to as many yeah. people as we can. So that's that's the principle behind what we're doing. And yeah, absolutely. It works pretty well. Absolutely. And you still actually have that right, as any member oh, of the absolutely. public can go into Parliament, yeah. wait in the lobby, and then you can harass any MP to your heart's content. That yeah. is still your right yeah. as a citizen <laughs> of the United Kingdom. Great Friday night, have a few drinks, pop into Parliament, harass your MP. Is that why they all go in the back door now? That's right, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Right, well, thank you very much for listening. That's that's pretty much all we've, we've got time for today. Um, if you want to get in touch with us about anything that we've said on the podcast please feel free to email us it's our firstnames.lastnames at dma.org.uk alternatively you can reach out to us on twitter and the dma account is at dma underscore uk we all have our personal accounts as well feel free to tag tag them too and if you so desire please use the hashtag dma pod as well and that'll help us find your tweets about the podcast a bit quicker than that but thank you very much for listening thanks for listening cheers thank you